Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. There was no rhyme or reason. It was, I've always loved to write ever since I was a little girl. I've always carried around a ton of journals with me and I've always written and observed strangers and embellished stories. And so I always knew I would write a book. At the same time, I got my first job in hospitality, you know, back in the mid to late 90s when I was in Ohio at a banquet and conference center. I was a marketing manager there. And then when I came out to San Diego, I started working for the hotels. So I was always writing and then I somehow landed a job in hospitality. And then I grew my hospitality job um, through the sales track. Um, the sales conference track and and landed now on the other side of the business. So now I'm a broker where I'm a client of I'm a buyer um, of the for the hotel. So I find hotels and venues for my clients all over the world and I negotiate with the hotel. So it sounds like it flows really well. And it, it seems like I'm a genius, right? Like, look at how these things sync up. But there was literally no rhyme or reason. It was just a coincidence that it all worked out that way to my benefit, I think. Because you have so many hats, if what's your your elevator pitch? If someone goes, hey, Mandy, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? It's it's funny you say that because I have I have a little annoyance about that, right? So like if I'm at a networking event, it depends on the type of event. If I'm at an entrepreneurial event, I'll lean towards you know, I just wrote a best-selling book and I'm a public speaker and I help entrepreneurs grow their business. If I'm at anything with the word meeting, conference, convention, or it's a clear convention thing, then I always lead with, you know, I'm a vice president of Global Accounts for Hospitality Performance Network and we find venues for you all over the world for your conference. So it really just depends on that space. But if I'm at, you know, my friend's kid's soccer game or my husband's family event, when someone says, what do you do? I am so annoyed with people that expect me to answer with a work answer because I think there's just so much more to us or maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe there isn't. Maybe other people think there isn't anything more to me than these different hats. But when someone says, what do you do? I always qualify it. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what did I do when I got up today? What do I do for work? What do I what do I do? Because I think there's so much more to us. There's so many other ways to identify ourselves than just work. So. I like to qualify that, but it always just depends on what circumstance that I'm at. Well, I think it's a very American thing. I mean, I, I know when I I've lived overseas, I mean, I've I mean known people for a long period of time and I had no clue who, what their age was, what they did. Yeah. And you just knew them as a person. And here, I think for the most part, you're defined by what you do for a living because, I mean, the idea, right, is that we live to work and over there, basically you're working to live, right? So it's just a different mindset, it seems like. I agree. It is a different mindset, but it's kind of lame. You know, like I, I feel like first and foremost, I'm a daughter and I'm a sister and I'm an aunt. I'm a hopeless Cleveland Browns fan. I don't know if I'll ever lose that optimism, which I should. I'm a wife. I'm a dog mom. You know, I feel like there's just so much more to me than all the other things that make money for me. And I think if I'm doing the stuff that I love, money will come. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a tricky question and it's a long-winded answer to a short question. Um, but I, you know, I, I just think we all could get a little bit better. I can get a little bit better that, at that, but we all can get a little bit better at like, 
how are we answering who we are? How, how do we identify ourselves in the world around us? Well, let's rewind and talk more about kind of who you are and who you were. I mean, so yeah. talking about that, that young Mandy that, mm -hmm. you mean, loved to read, that was, you mean, a, a young, young woman. I mean, what was she like? Was she an outgoing personality? Was she more introvert? I mean, who was, who was young Mandy? I was a troublemaker. Um, I was, I was bad in school. I got, I failed 11th grade English because I was so mouthy. I had a very not conforming to the world kind of thing. I had a real, you know, double bird, middle finger to authority. Um, and it took me a while. I was a really late bloomer. Um, I would like to say I was fun and coy and playful and I was an athlete. I love to play sports. I have a, three siblings. We had a really big family. And so we did a lot of family stuff, but um, it, from a professional standpoint, I remember my grandpa saying to my mom at one point, like, Woof, she graduated high school. We're so happy she did that. We didn't think she was going to make it. And, and it took me a while. I was a late bloomer. It really took me until I was in my early 20s to realize like, hey, this is all up to you. Nobody's going to do it for you. And if you want to do this, you have to find a path, find a way. And it was really, I think, my first sales job. I was um, a, a salesperson and a personal trainer. And I taught aerobics at this fitness center for women in Ohio, in a little suburb in Ohio. And I had an awesome boss. I actually talk about her in the book. She was an awesome boss. And she taught me how to cold call and how to walk into businesses and how to form business relationships and how to just talk to people and solve their problems. And I really got the itch for business through talking to her and learning from her. And then, you know, I went off to college and learned a whole bunch of stuff there. But I think growing up, if you ask anybody that knew me when I was a kid, I think they'd all say I was funny and they'd probably all say I was nice, but they would definitely, I don't think, uh, think that I would write a book or I'd be successful in any professional way at all. I was a bit of a troublemaker in the principal's office. <clears throat> well, talking about, I mean, that, that the kind of roadmap of of working you know with a great boss she was teaching you sales and then going off to college what was the idea of of heading off to college was there a way to work that same job and go to college or kind of kind no. of walk us through that yeah there was no way because it was um i i went away to toledo and i lived in okay. cleveland that's a two-hour difference so just proximity wise there was no way to do that um and then i had all sorts of weird jobs in college like i worked at a um I worked at a suit place, so I was, you know, selling men's suits to them. I didn't know anything about suits, but that was super fun because I got to flirt with boys. And then um, I was in a sorority, and then, you know, you did all, yeah, I volunteered at the sorority. I was active um, on campus, that kind of thing. I worked on campus, but I always remembered some of those skills. You know, I mean, ultimately, a good salesperson is a listener and an educator and somebody that just solves problems. And so I think throughout all of that, I did that. And then um, after college, then I got a job for a um, at Icon Office Solutions. So we sold print jobs, basically. Um, so marketing materials. And this was when branding first started, you know, when everybody started wearing the Coca-Cola T-shirts. And we first started seeing brands and colors and fonts, or at least just paying attention to them. And, um, and I worked for a printing company and I hated that job. I was so bad at it. I was so embarrassed when I was on the phones. I was whisper, I would whisper sell. 
And I would have a couple customers say, I can't hear you. And it was because I was so ashamed. I didn't know what I was talking about. And then I went away to some training and the training was the best training I ever had in my life. Um, and I was with, a, a. they separated us up into some teams and I was with two other people on my team, totally different. One guy was a very seasoned, older man who did not want to be on a team with two women. And the other girl had her master's degree in economics or something. It was a very odd job for somebody with that level of, you know, education. And we had to collaborate and our team was a mess. Like we couldn't collaborate. We didn't listen to each other. And then when we actually made our presentation, we nominated the highly educated girl to get up there and she froze. She literally opened her mouth and nothing came out. And the guy just blamed everything on her and they both walked off the stage and they left me there. I was just the young rookie. And then I just delivered a presentation. I It was one of those moments I felt outside of my body. I had no idea what I was saying. It was like the the peanuts parents where they're like, wah, 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 it felt like that. And people asked me some questions about the Gutenberg press and different things like that. And I answered the best I could. And what I didn't know the answers to, I said, I'm not sure I'll check in, you know, check on that and let you know. And then after I ended up getting an award uh, for most likely to succeed, which everybody at that job was shocked because I was so bad at my job. But the sales trainer said, you know, you stepped up when your team had failed and you improvised and that's what a good salesperson can do. Eventually, um, I got fired from that job because I wasn't producing, but I learned such a valuable lesson. I learned that if you don't love the product that you're selling, don't do it. If you don't love the product you're producing, don't do it because you'll never be a good advocate for it. And so then after that, then I started working for the Banquet and Conference Center and I started becoming obsessed with hotels. like. Once a hotel opens, it never closes. You have to be nice to people 24 hours a day. And then I really found my niche. Like that's really when I became a hospitality nerd and I really wanted to be in that hospitality space. What do you think you like so much about the hospitality space? You know, I think it's like, welcome to my home. You know, there's all these creative ways that you're welcoming people into your hotel. And it's endless amounts of ways to be nice to people, right? Like whether it's at the front desk or whether it's at the valet or whether it's in a sales situation where you're trying to convince a huge corporation to bring 2000 people into your city, you know, it gets so much bigger than just the hotel. It's like, what are all the great things about this particular city that will convince you to come? So I think there's just never ending legs to it. And I, it's, it's an industry that I've just never gotten bored with. And I've always felt really confident in. Do you start in sales there when you originally? I, I actually started in catering sales. So which means that you sell and service. So in the hospitality world, you, uh, you, um, uh, you sell it and then you plan the event. So I don't plan anything anymore, but in the beginning days I planned it. And in catering, I was doing uh, bat mitzvahs, quinceañeras, mm -hmm. reunions, military. I was the queen of the military events. I knew everything there was about every San Diego military event. And then, um, and then you would plan it. And then eventually I moved on to just conventions where I was just selling the convention space, the guest rooms, negotiating the hotel rooms, negotiating the contract. And then I would turn it over to someone on my team to plan. And then eventually I moved into leadership and you know, sales training and director of sales and vice president of sales and all that stuff from there. 
the uh, emotional aspect when you're talking about I mean weddings, bar mitzvahs, you know, quinceañeras, so on and so forth. I mean, how did that play a factor into, I guess, the sales and then also actually performing on the actual events? Yeah, that was interesting because I was only 24, 25 when I had that job and I didn't want to get married. I didn't understand what a quinceañera was. There was a lot about it I didn't understand. And I was kind of too young to understand the gravity of what that feels like to be a parent and have your kid have a bar of mitzvah. That's a huge deal. Um, or, you know, what it's like to have your kid get married and all the money you spend. You may be saving your whole life for this. So I didn't understand that at the time how important that was. I was very robotic. Um, and there's some things I really regret about how I handled it because I eventually I got really good at it and I was very systematic. It was like, here's the details. I'm going to go through this start to finish. And I could feel that I wasn't eventually effective, which is when I went over to the convention side, which I really loved because I got to learn a bunch about a lot of different businesses and a lot of different industries. Um, but yeah, there is a huge emotional side to selling the, the personal and the social events on the catering side, for sure. And you have to really dig into what that, what does that mean? You know, it's a big investment for families. What does that mean for them? And take care of that, take care of their investment. When you switched over to, to more events, more uh, bigger events, conferences, mm -hmm. I mean, was there a learning curve that you had to kind of figure out or what was that process like? Yeah, there was a huge learning curve. I, I was so lucky. I had some awesome mentors. I had, um, and I'm still in touch with them today. You know, I had Sherry Brennan. She's retired now. Margie Sitton, Margie Sittens, who's retired now. Dan Schmitzer, he was um, one of my first directors of sales. You know, people called him Dan the Drill because he would ask so many questions and you had to be prepared to answer the questions. So there was a meeting um, that a lot of hotels have. It's called RevMax, Revenue Maximization, or it's called Business Review. And it's really where you bring, and this was the biggest learning curve for me. I had to learn how to sell internally to my team before I could then take that business and sell it externally to the customer because you've got 10 to 12 salespeople kind of fighting over available guest rooms and available space. And so that daily RevMax meeting, you had to come with the RevMax 5 and be prepared to make a pitch the same way you were making a pitch to your client. So you had to pitch to your team why your business is the better business to take over one of your peers or even one of your superiors or even uh, your mentors. And you had to have the RevMax 5. So you had to know history, rate, competition, food and beverage contribution, and then what it would take to close the business. And if you weren't prepared at that meeting, you were never going to get anything passed in RevMax. And if you didn't get anything passed in RevMax, then you couldn't go back to your clients and send any proposals. So I really focused early on. I realized, all right, if I can figure out this RevMax thing, I can get to that next step. So I focused on being really prepared and polished and really digging into the numbers, looking at historical data, how much revenue we did in the past over certain dates and then putting you know, business over certain dates so I can get, so, you know, solve problems for my clients. Once I figured that out, then it was all systems go. Then it was, I could get past RevMax and then sell to my customers and then figure out how to solve their problems. Um, but yeah, there's a big, huge learning curve. It took some time, but I, I ended up getting there eventually. So in that role, salary base, um, what, what, what did that look, or commission base? What was that role look like? So that, this is so funny. So in the hotel world, 
for the most part, you you get a, a pretty decent living wage and then you get a commission on top of it. Now, the commission structures for hotels are, are typically very convoluted and kind of tricky and it's all based on your goals. And obviously if you perform, then the next year your goals are doubled. And if you perform the next year, your goals are tripled. Um, so when I came over to HPN in 2010, it's 100% commission. Mm. And I left, I was at Caesars Entertainment um, in Las Vegas. That was my last hotel job. And my team, I led a team of people and we produced $20 million in one quarter. Of that 20 million, I brought in 10 million, right? Mm. And at that time, I knew it was time probably to leave the hotel business. And HPN had been one of my top clients for a long time. And I had talked to the CEO. And in tandem, I had also met a, uh, a guy who's now my husband, but was just my boyfriend. And the CEO of HPN called. He's like, hey, I heard you fell in love. Like, are you ready to come over and work for HPN? And it was one of those, it was one of those moments where I was like, I in three months, I brought this company $10 million and it is a great company. Like they are, were awesome to work with and for, and now I'm, I'm a client of theirs and they're still a great partner on this side. But when I looked at the numbers, it was like, I brought them $10 million. And if you net out like what my percentage of commission, it was like less than 1% or something silly like that. Right. But on the commission side, you make, you know, you you really can see, oh, if I bring in $10 million, I'm going to make a true commission off of that. And then all my hard work will pay off. So that's, you know, one of the reasons I went over to the HPN side, because the dollars, the dollars scratched out a little better. And I wasn't confined to just one hotel company. I could now offer these clients that I've worked with over the years, every single hotel in every city in every country all over the world. I wasn't just confined to one brand. So the transition of going to 100% commission, that happened in 2010? 2010, yep. Now, this is, I mean, only a couple years after, I mean, I mean the market correction. The crisis, yes. <laughs> Did you have any doubts in your head that I'm giving up a paycheck for the safety that maybe I won't have the next sale the next year and so on and so forth? You know what? It was one of those things. So I'll back it up for a minute. Um, I went over to Vegas during the auto crisis and it was really interesting because a lot of the salespeople there, they had been used to picking up the phone and just, you know, taking orders. And it was awesome because there's so much business. It's a convention capital of the world. But the phones had stopped ringing because people had stopped booking conferences. And now it was time to pick up the phone and call. And remember, I was taught that when I was 19 years old at that fitness center. I love calling strangers. I love cold calling people. So, you know, we created a power hour there while we were in Vegas um, and we picked up the phone. So I knew coming over to this side of the business, building a book of business, that I was going to have to be vigilant and call everybody I've ever known and bet, make the biggest bet on myself. And I, I, I didn't have a choice. I sort of looked at it like this is, you know, this is a sink or swim thing. You know, you've been working your whole career to get to this point. And so you just got to do it. Like there weren't any options. I didn't have, you know, at that time I had a boyfriend, but we weren't financially tied together at all. We'd only been dating for, I don't know, like six or seven months or something. And, um, and I didn't, you know, I'm not a wealthy person. I don't come from like a huge wealthy background. I just grew up in a middle-class suburb in Ohio. So it was really based on my savings that I had. And I knew how long that would last. 
And so for me, I was just like sink or swim. It didn't cross my mind that I wasn't going to succeed. I knew I had to, like, I didn't have a choice not to. Well, where did you, where did you see yourself going? I mean, what, what was that, what was that picture you saw in your head that you knew you were kind of working towards? Yeah. I just saw myself making money based on, you know, what the work I was actually doing without any sort of weird convoluted salary compensation commission plan. You know, I just, I knew I would build a book of business. Um, I knew that I would be learning about a whole bunch of different hotels all over the world. And I knew I had a really awesome network behind me. You know, at this point, HPN had been in business for a while and I knew that I had all the support that I needed to grow my business. So I didn't really, it wasn't one of those where I said, okay, in five years, I'm going to be this. And in 10 years, I'm going to be this. I was just like, I'm going to give this a shot and let's just see what happens. And it ended up working out all right. And then when, when do you start looking at the idea of, of writing a book and actually getting up on stage yourself? Yeah. So that actually had started three years prior to that. So in 2007, when I was on the hotel side, I actually had a client that said to me, hey, you know, we're trying to grow our business. We really get along with you. My partner and I want to see if you'll help us. Would you like to help us? I was like, sure. I've never done that before. Let's give it a whirl. So we sat around my kitchen table and we looked at, you know, who their vendors were and how they wanted to structure their vendor fees. We looked at how they wanted to grow their business, their time management, who was doing what among the partners and what each partner wanted to do. And we grew their business. It was really successful. We, they had a whole boatload of services. So we tailored down their services to something that was a little more manageable. I think they originally had like 15. We ended up saying, okay, let's just offer seven. And then we divided and conquered. Um, and then from there, a coaching business was born. And then once a coaching business was born, then a speaking business was born. So I think coaching and speaking at that point since 2007. So it's been about you know 15 years that I've been coaching and speaking. But I had a I had a hotel job that was really 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then there was a bunch of travel. So I was coaching and speaking on the weekends or in the evenings. So when I came over to HPN, all commissioned job, 1099, you know, have total flexibility with my schedule. That's when I then took on more coaching clients and more speaking engagements. And then the book, I've been writing since I was a little girl. And then in 2017, I was at spin class and it was one of those moments where it's the very end and you're pedaling really fast and you feel like you're going to die. And um, the teacher said something. I can't remember what she said. And I heard the voice. It was like, write the book. <laughs> you have to write the book. And, you know, you're, when you're in those moments of this endorphin release, you, you crazy things happen to your brain and then they, you forget about them on the drive home. Well, on the drive home, it was like, write the book was this loud voice. It was suffocating me like in my throat. And then weeks went on and on. And finally, I was like, I got to write a book. So I hired a writing coach and we did all these cool exercises where she did morning pages. I had to write three pages, double spaced every morning about whatever I wanted. It could be a grocery list, it could be about a dream, it could be about whatever. And uh, she said, just write this and then we'll see. So two weeks later, she's like, well, what do you want to write about? I'm like, I have all these journals. I sketched all these interesting characters. I'm going to write a fiction book. It's going to be so fun. She's like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, can you write about business? 
And I said, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but I'm living and breathing that all day. Like that doesn't sound any fun to me at all. She's like, when I read your words, when you write about business, it's so much more entertaining. It's so much more fun. And she's like, I feel like I'm actually hearing you talk, you know, and that's what you want from a writer. You want to be able to hear their voice when you read their words. And so a, that's how an accidental business book was born. So then I started looking back at all the journals and looking at all the stories. So, you know, it's sales tales. So it's all of these sales tales from my life in sales and um, the people that I coach, some of their stories from sales or observations over the last 25 years. So once I you know, earmarked all the little stories. Then I put up on my bulletin board over here, different sections of like, what is the sales process? So I wrote a book that actually has a story arc of the sales process from start to finish. So it starts with prospecting, networking, building relationships, making a presentation, closing the deal, um, and then time management and then COVID gave me an accidental extra chapter called disaster selling and how we survived and thrived in our businesses through all the disasters. Because it wasn't just COVID, right? Like you had just talked about the, you know, the, the auto crisis of 2008 and September 11th. So I, I went back to all the journals and earmarked all the pages and found all these stories that I had written, but I'd forgotten about. Um, from all the disasters that I had to sell through and keep my business afloat through. So that's a how the book came alive. I've always been writing. I never thought I'd write a business book, but that's how Sales Tales book came alive was through uh, business, uh, through uh, writing, hiring a writing coach and just listening to that voice inside me that was like, you, ha you have to do this. You have to write this book. It was suffocating. It was almost like change your whole life around to do this or you won't, you will regret it for the rest of your life. And, and I did, the, the book found me. I don't know if I found the book. I think the book called on me. Do you think, I mean, you're who you were 10 years ago, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that person that transitioned over to the commission-based business that was looking in the forward of, hey, I'm going to make money. This is all going to work for me. How do you think she would grade what you've accomplished over those years? I think she'd give me an A plus plus. I mean, I yeah, I I think I think everything that's happened since is um I never expected any of this. I'm surprised every day by all of this. I mean, when I wrote a book, I thought my mom would be the only one that read it. I I never imagined I'd be talking to a stranger, you know, on a podcast about my book. I I never thought like sale, Selling Power magazine would say it was the number one book you should buy your salespeople for Christmas. Like all of these weird, crazy things strangers reading my books, sending me emails. I, I could never imagined any of that. I couldn't plan that out. You know, I mean, I think she'd give me an A plus, even a plus plus. Do you, do you ever, ever feel that you get pulled in one direction after recess? Like if you're focusing too much on your book and then you're taken away from your other stuff, I mean, do you ever feel there's like a um, pulling one direction or another direction? Yeah, it's that's a constant struggle. And that is one reason I am so grateful that I've been coaching entrepreneurs as long as I have been, because the number one issue I find with entrepreneurs struggling to grow their business or add another revenue stream on is time management and all the different directions you get pulled in. So uh, luckily, I've had some I've had some observational practice, but I've also had some practice in that area. Um, but it's still difficult, you know, I mean, I have to really put in buckets of time. There are, 
if you look at the week, um, there are certain times of day where it's only, you know, writing, reading, coaching stuff. And then there's certain times of day where it is strictly HPN. And I have to really stay focused in that time and make sure I'm staying true to that. And it's really hard from a brain standpoint to bounce back and forth because the coaching and speaking is very creative. Like I love writing speeches. I love delivering speeches. It's so fun. The HPN stuff is very creative, but it's also, you know, you're reading contracts. You know, I'm really, really good at negotiating a contract and getting a good deal done for my client, but it's just a different part of your brain. So I just try and schedule it up for the week. I try and put all everything in buckets and try and stay, stay true to that. It's not 100% all the time. And there's always fire drills, especially with a hotel. Once a hotel's open, it never closes. So there's inevitable, unexpected fire drills of the 24-hour operation. Um, but I, I, I try really hard at managing all of those in buckets the best that I can. It, it's, it's a struggle, though. It's a daily struggle, for sure. You know what? You see, you said, that was the second time you said that where uh, once a hotel opens, it never closes. Mm -hmm. And for, for me, I was thinking, okay, well, that just means it's like a, a casino. It's a it's a good uh, a profitable business, right? That's that's how I originally took it. And then mm -hmm. the second time you just said that right now, I understood it as like, it's constantly, people are constantly working there. Not necessarily mean it's gonna, it's gonna succeed. It just means it's almost constantly working there. So it's, it's interesting how words can change as we, we talk a little more and more. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 if wow. we're basically um, talking, let's say in, in five years from now, right? Mm -hmm. And with all the expansion, all the growth you've had over the last, you know, I mean, 15 years, where do you see yourself and your business being in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'll still do HPN. I love my clients. I love the conference business. I'll still do that. Um, but I do think I'll have some online courses. I'm actually going to be launching some online videos that people can purchase within the next year. And I want to continue to grow that because I think there's a lot of a really a lot of good problems out there to solve that people can solve by watching a quick 10 to 15, 20 minute video. Um, I want to write another book. I don't know what that's on yet. Maybe I'll finally get my fiction book written. I don't know. It'll probably be another book with a rhyming title like Sales Tales. Um, and then I'd love to continue speaking. You know, I love speaking to, to groups one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many about upping your sales game or business bedside manner or virtual storytelling. I and mean, I think, you know, for me, I'm so comfortable on a stage. I love talking to strangers. So I just really hope to continue to grow that side and continue to do that. When do you think your first speaking engagement in the metaverse is going to be? Ooh, in the metaverse. I thought you were going to say speaking engagement. I'm like, honey, I've been doing those for years. But in the metaverse, oh gosh, you stumped me. I don't know. I'm looking at my vision board. Like there's a little space. Maybe I should put that on there. <laughs> 2023? I don't know. My, I will say um, I joined this group. My husband calls it a cult, but it is not. It's an awesome coaching group. It's called Build Your Life Resume. It is so awesome. We meet once a month. It's a thousands of people all over the country. And it's really all about being a better human, not just being a better you know, professional. But they have you set your one year defining event. They call it the Misogi. Mm -hmm. And so my year defining event this year is to um, do a TED Talk. 
So um, I don't think the TED Talk will be in the metaverse, uh, but that if I do that before the end of the year, my heart will be warm. That will that'll make me really happy. And hopefully it'll make the people happy that get to watch it or experience it too. Something that I I, I love asking coaches, I mean, because I think the idea is that not all coaches are right for every individual, right? So totally. how do you know you found the right coach or how do you on the path to finding the right coach? Yeah, you know, I I have a philosophy about coaches having hired coaches and then being a coach is I feel like a coach should bring out the best in you. And I think they should also help illuminate some of skills that you have that you didn't even know you had that you might have sat on the bench over the years and a good coach makes you feel good when you hang out a good coach doesn't overload you with homework and make you feel over overwhelmed. I think a good coach, when you hang up the phone, you feel good about yourself. You feel good about your plot on the planet and you, you have a skill that might be sharpened that you didn't know you had before. So um, I think a good coach brings out the best in the people that they're coaching. Is there a way in a, you think in an initial conversation or looking online for reviews to get a sense of that before you sign up with them or work with them? You know, I'm kind of old school in that sense. Like I prefer to talk to new people one time before we ever decide if we're going to work together or not, whether I'm hiring them or they're hiring me. Cause I can get a lot from hearing someone's voice in the first like five to 10 minutes. I can tell if I'm going to be a good fit, fit for them um, or if they're not going to be a good fit for me. So I still really recommend just either doing a face-to-face -face or a phone-to-phone -phone call with a coach. And if you, if somebody wants, if you want to hire somebody as a coach and you tell them, hey, I'm so much more comfortable with a quick call and they say no, either by me or not, I feel like that's probably not the right person for you. Um, so I, I recommend just talking to them first. And even if it's just a quick 10 minute call, because their time is valuable, your time is valuable, but I think talking is the best way. Now, I guess it brings us to the next question. If people are listening right now and, and they feel like there'd be good synergy with, with you, or they want to hear more about your journey, about your future TED Talk, whatever it might be, what's mm -hmm. the best way of them reaching out to you, following you, uh, connecting with you? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways. They can go to my website, mandygraziano.com. It's Mandy with an I and Graziano with a Z, just like the screen. But if they're listening, mandygraziano.com. Uh, they can find me on Instagram. It's um, Mandy underscore Graziano. Or they can find me on LinkedIn, Mandy Graziano. They can Google me. They can buy my book on Amazon. They can buy my book on the W Marketplace. Or you could just email me at coach at mandygraziano.com. I actually, I read all my emails. I respond to all my social media. So uh, you can track me down. Or if you can't remember any of this, just Google Mandy Graziano and you'll be able to find ways to contact me too. And all her show notes uh, is, I mean, all her information is in the show notes. One social media tag that she didn't talk about, uh, I believe was her TikTok. So that's in the show notes too. So you can follow that journey all her videos and Mandy I'm gonna leave you with one last question one last question right here if you could talk to that younger woman that one that was just learning sales is there any advice feedback thoughts that you might give to her oh yeah I would give myself so many so much advice 
I think uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice I would say is like, it's, it's okay to not know everything and um, it's okay to listen. And I would say just zip it, you know, just stop talking and listen and tune in the just amazing world around you. Cause it, it, I wish I would have absorbed more when I was younger instead of, I'm just a chatty Cathy and I found that the older I get, I'm a much better listener. And so I would tell myself, it's okay if you don't know anything and it's really okay if you just zip it and listen a little more. Well, thank you, Mandy, uh, for being here. I, yeah. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Please subscribe, please share, go find Mandy. Also too, I mean, I, I know you li you're listening out there and there's some stuff I think Mandy said, but she didn't say. I mean, she talked about that vision of knowing what she wanted and kind of going out there. Even when we talked about she wears so many hats and how there's a synergy there, that that wasn't planned, right? Yet there was a vision. She has a vision board. She she basically visioned out where she's going to be when she talked about the transition from one job to the next job. She had a vision. It's just going to happen. Like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So have that vision. If you don't know what you want to want to be or where you want to be right now, I mean, talk to people. But once yeah. you get that vision, focus on that vision and know it's just a matter of time before you get there. Thank and you, guys. Listen. listen to the inner voice. Give that exactly. inner voice. Give that inner voice some wings because it's gets it's got something to say and you want to give it some breath. Listen. You know, one thing my, my father always told me is you got a mouth, one mouth, two ears. Use it accordingly. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Thank you guys. Uh, please subscribe, please share, and go find Manny. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.